Hey, Scott Johnson here from Frog Pants at frogpants.com, and you're listening to Alpha Geek Radio. Um, but thanks for making it out. Um, this is the art of the Star Wars retcon. So if you don't know what retcon is, or you want to learn about it, or you know what it is, but want to know more, this is the right place. So we'll be kind of walking through um, explaining what exactly a retcon is. We'll talk a little bit about canon uh, in the Star Wars universe, and then give some examples of some of our favorite and least favorite examples of, of some retcons in the Star Wars universe, because there's examples of both. Um, just a quick introduction. My name is Dustin Deal. Um, that's my Twitter handle if you guys want to tweet at me and um, use the hashtag SWRetcon if you have any questions or want to tweet about this specific panel. The Phoenix Comic Con hashtag is um, PHXCC. And then I have Trevor here with me. Um, we both write for Nerdvana, which is the East Valley Tribune um, nerd blog. It's, um, it's a lot of fun, so check it out if you want to know what's kind of going around locally and some movie reviews and just general nerd news. All right, getting into it. Retroactive continuity is what retcon uh, kind of stands for. And it's a term that's been around for a surprisingly long time. Um, but what exactly is it? Well, it's basically going back, um, and there's three types of it. There's addition retcon, subtraction retcon, and alteration retcon. Um, some examples of an addition retcon would be like a prequel. So X-Men First Class was an addition. Uh, we got like the Underworld prequel. And even the Paranormal Activity uh, sequels, especially the third one, since it was more like a prequel. So these are examples of retcon because you're filling in, a, you're filling in some backstory. You're, you're, what is that? Is that the microphone? Um, you're going in and filling some some backstory, and you're and you're laying some foundational work that wasn't explained in maybe some of the initial installments. Um, alteration, and this is a big one. Uh, Sherlock Holmes would be an example when um, Arthur Conan Doyle actually killed off Sherlock Holmes. Fans weren't too happy about it, so he kind of brought him back, and this was kind of the birth of what we call now the comic book death. Uh, comic book characters die all the time, but it doesn't really mean anything anymore because you can just bring them back and either create a whole new universe for them to come back in or a different timeline, or you bring them back from the dead from cloning or science. So the comic books have kind of um, made people a little bit desensitized to character deaths, and so retconning in the comic book universe is probably the most prevalent where we see this. Um, and then Trevor even mentioned uh, this happened in the in the Transformers. G one, yeah. Let's um, get our ratings back and do it halfway. Yeah, and and it's done oftentimes to either please fans or to try to get more fans to join. I mean, even see DC just recently relaunched their entire line with a DC fifty two. Um, that's basically a massive retcon. Even The Hobbit, um, J.R.R. Tolkien, he actually went back and changed some of Gollum's backstory in the second edition of The Hobbit to better fit with the storyline that he laid out in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So that would be an example of retcon also, where he is tweaking some facts to make it fit better with, with future installments. Uh, Trevor mentioned this when we were talking about this panel also, uh, the Star Trek reboot. Basically, the entire film is a retcon. Um, 
you had some yeah, good it's, points it's about that. It's self contained to extent, right? Because the whole time paradox thing that they brought up. So you can call it like a microverse or an alternate universe or an alternate reality. So they could, it could pretty much start and stop with that series of movies if they wanted to. But it's still a change. It's still a retcon. Mm -hmm. um, there's not very many, or it's hard to find examples of subtraction retcon. And basically, this is where you are taking something out of the canon and saying, it never really happened. You know, don't look behind the curtain. Um, Dallas, they had an entire season of this show where they were kind of like, oh, it was a dream. Uh, so <laughs> it clearly probably wasn't that successful, but um, that's an example of how you would use a subtraction retcon where you just kind of pretend it never happened. For what? Oh, really? <laughs> so the entire series was a retcon, a subtraction retcon. All this time that you spent didn't happen. <laughs> um, so how is this managed, particularly in the Star Wars universe? You have this guy here. He is an actual person. His name is Leland Chi. Um, and his title is the Keeper of the Holocron. And this was, the Holocron is basically a massive compendium of all things Star Wars. It was um, officially put together in 2000. And that is his job. He is the keeper of the holocron. So anything that comes across Lucas properties, whether it's a video game, a toy line, a new novel series, uh, he kind of has to check it and make sure that it fits in with um, all the pre-existing facts and information that, that he has. Um, authors have access. Um, all the creators have access to the holocron. Obviously, it is a bit overwhelming. So it's Leland's job to kind of help guide them through the process. Um, but. A big, a big job, and the fact that that's his entire job description um, means that Lucas is definitely dedicated to making sure that there's some form of continuity in this universe. And that's really the, the thing that I like most about the Star Wars universe is that they have really committed to keeping things continuous. You know, they they are really dedicated to continuity, despite the fact that they often step on their own toes. Um, they do make an effort to then go back and do a lot of retconning, which some franchises just don't even bother to do. Um, they either just reboot it all the time or just have a lot of contradictory information out there and they don't bother to cross-reference it, which is fine for them, but I think that's one of the appealing things about the Star Wars Expanded Universe and Star Wars in general is that it is one continuous timeline. So Trevor had some fun points when we were talking about this panel and, and we talked that's a little bit... I called it when I emailed him. <laughs> yeah, I gave it this title. Um, and obviously, we don't have any control over how authors decide to do retcons. Um, so the people who actually do the retconning, oftentimes it's Leland. Um, he has a blog. There was um, some EndNote blogs on the Star Wars site that often authors will go back and write um, epilogues to some of their work to kind of tie in some of the retcons. Uh, the authors themselves can actually perform retroactive continuity in their own works if they want to retcon something else from a different work. So that's kind of how it typically works. But Trevor has some fun advice for people. And like I said, we obviously can't talk to them and, and give them our advice. But if they're listening anywhere, this is what we think you should do when you're, when you're planning a retcon. And we like to get some feedback, too, after we listen. Yeah. So Take it away. <laughs> I want to start talking now. Um, so one, don't make any unnecessary changes. Um, a good example, now that I'm on the spot, um. Hmm? Yeah, thank you. Boom. Greedo shot first, of course. 
Are there any kids in here? Yeah. Hmm? Oh, sorry. So a good example would be uh, Greedo shot first. He didn't shoot first. We all know he didn't shoot first. No one wants him to shoot first. Everyone wants Han to shoot first. And it was uh, unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, it did nothing for the story. Yeah, so I'm going to use that one again because everybody hates it. So don't make it something obvious. If, if anybody looks at it really closely, you can tell the CG just kind of turns his head and kind of goes, his neck grows when he moves. Um, so again, just it wasn't necessary, it wasn't subtle, and it wasn't selective. And, and you'll notice, I think, some of the most successful retcons, when we, when we say subtle, um, oftentimes maybe the retcon will include like a very, very minor character. Maybe that's only shown up in uh, a random short story in Star Wars Insider Magazine, or maybe on a, a role-playing game or a trading card. And so they'll use these minor characters that really don't have a lot of backstory, who they can kind of um, mold into something new without really stepping on any toes. So I think when we, when we say be subtle, like use use the materials that are there without causing a lot of disruption. It's kind of like Jenga. You know, you pull out something small and it's not going to be that big of a deal, but when you start messing with some of the major themes and some of the major characters, that's when things get a little bit shaky. So, yeah, so be thorough. You want to make sure that whenever, say you're writing a book, and you've got your plot lined out, and you go through it, you write it, and you're reading through it, doing your edits, and you say, okay, you know what, this guy says this one thing, or Maybe he does this one thing, and it doesn't really fit. So you say, okay, well, instead of him going to grab a drink of water and then going to the bathroom, you say, okay, you know he's going to go to the bathroom first. He's going to empty it. Well, you don't know what else that affects. So you need to check and see, okay, he's going to do this. What else is he supposed to do? I'm being very vague. <laughs> this sounded great. Um, so basically what I'm trying to say is that whenever you do make a change, make sure it doesn't screw up the rest of the plot for the story. Because and, it can happen easily. And because the Star Wars universe is so interconnected, it's not just your story that can be affected. I mean, if you write a character in a particular way, and you ran into this a lot with New Jedi Order, people were, authors were writing characters in a particular way, and then a different author would kind of take them in a different direction. And that had a little bit of contention with fans, because people weren't really sure, like, is this characterization accurate? Um, so even, even something as subtle as characterization can, can be a retcon. So before we get too much more into this, we need to have a discussion around canon. And there's several different levels of canon in the Star Wars universe. You have G canon, which is George Lucas canon. And this is basically the most recent version of the six films. And anything that he has said in either official uh, film notes or in interviews. Um, for, so for an example, Star Wars Celebration Five a couple of years ago, he was asked by Jon Stewart on his panel, uh, what was Obi-Wan's home planet called? And kind of on the fly, and as a nod to, to Jon Stewart, uh, George Lucas said he was from the planet Stu-John. And instantly, before that panel was out, there was an entry in Wikipedia and it was official. That is, if you go to Wikipedia now, that is his official home planet. So that is considered G-canon because George Lucas said it. And again, it's the most recent version of the six films, so I know a lot of fans don't really like them. They don't like the changes in the Blu-ray editions. But unfortunately, when it comes to canon, G-canon is considered the most recent versions of the six films. T-canon is television canon. Um, George Lucas is very heavily involved in um, both the Clone Wars television show and then the proposed future live action television show. So T-Canon is the next level down. Um, 
it can only be trumped by G. Cannon, but George Lucas is heavily involved. Uh, so anything that happens in the show, and you hear a lot about this, um, the Clone Wars is kind of stepping on some people's idea of what's canon, especially when it uh, came to the, the Mandalorians and some of the stuff that Karen Travis had put into effect in some of her Republic Commando novels. So a lot of people were upset that her books were kind of becoming you know, uncanon, non-canonical because of this te television show. But unfortunately, when it comes to, to canon, T-canon trumps the next one, which is C-canon. And this basically is it's continuity canon, but it, it includes all the expanded universe material. So we're talking about the books, the comics, uh, the video games, the toy lines. So C canon is kind of the, the largest area of canon. And as we notice, it can be trumped by T and G canon. However, what's kind of cool is you have instances where C canon can get a promotion. Um, it can become T or G canon. So a great example of this is Coruscant. It was first the capital was first named by Timothy Zahn in Heir to the, em Heir to the Empire in 1991 in his, his novel. So it was C canon. Uh, George Lucas liked it enough to include it in the prequels, so it made it into a movie, so it became G canon. So that's kind of a cool example. George Lucas does this a lot. The 501st is actually a similar situation. The 501st is a, a great uh, charity organization, and they do a lot of great work, they're the guys in costumes, and he decided to incorporate that into the prequels as well and make that Vader's uh, or Anakin's specific Stormtrooper unit. So that was even not even C canon at all, that was a fan organization and that jumped all the way to G canon, so kind of a cool story there too. S canon is secondary canon, and this is stuff that has a lot of questionable canonicity, so most often referred to like the Marvel comics that came out in the 70s and 80s. Lots of stories here, lots of stuff that questionable canonicity, like, you know, does it really affect the timeline? Where does it fit exactly? You know, characters, are they doing this or that? Um, often not really considered part of the major canon, so it's secondary canon. However, again, you can get promotions. Uh, Lumia is a great example of this. So she first appeared in some of the Marvel comics um, as secondary canon, and then she made it into the um, Legacy of the Force novel series. So that became S canon to C canon. N canon is the last one, and it's basically non-canon, uh, something that falls outside of the, the major continuity. This is mostly the Infinities um, comic books, kind of take an alternate universe look, parallel universe look at what would happen in Star Wars if Vader was good and Leia turned to the dark side. And they're kind of fun, but they don't fall within the continuity at all. So. Most of the Star Wars retcons are addition and alteration retcons. I don't really know of any examples of subtraction. Uh, so some examples of the addition retcons in Star Wars. The Tales books, I think this is a, a, great, a great example of this. Um, these books are really, really cool. Some really awesome short stories that delve into the minor characters that you see in particular scenes in the films. Most notably, uh, the Mos Eisley Cantina, uh, the Bounty Hunters from Empire Strikes Back, and Jabba's Palace. Uh, you learn about you know, the Gamorrean guard that stands there, or Bib Fortuna who had a couple lines, or that bounty hunter that didn't say anything. So you kind of get their backstory, you get to see how they interacted, how they got to where they were in the films. So this is a retcon. I mean, they are creating backstories for characters that currently didn't have a voice in the films. And people will consider the prequels a, an addition retcon as well. Uh, they are 
the backstory, the prequels to the original trilogy. So they're filling in a lot of information and a lot of things that we didn't know when the originally tr original trilogy had, uh, first came out. So people would consider these um, retroactive continuity as well. Most of them are alteration, however, and most of them are done to fix problems. Because it is such a big universe and things do fall through the cracks. Um, this is an interesting one, and I think it's the biggest one and the one that's most often overlooked, but Anakin Skywalker being Darth Vader is a retcon. Um, George Lucas did not know 100% if that's the direction that he was going to take Empire Strikes Back, so he wrote the first one not really knowing. Um, and then the decision was made, so that was a retcon. He, he made the choice to have Vader be Luke's dad, um, and I think it was for the best. Um, but that, that would be considered retroactive continuity. He made a change. Did you want to say something, Trevor? They put out some short stories to that effect with uh, Vader actually killing Luke's father at one point. Mm -hmm. And then when they started writing episode, they said, nope, he tossed yep. it. Yep. And even like the, the um, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was released, um, well, actually, we'll get to that. <laughs> because of this. <laughs> so this was a major retcon. Um, originally, the, they were meant to be in a romantic relationship. If you look at uh, early script drafts of Empire Strikes Back, they were the ones that were kind of meant to be together. And then they're like, no, we're going to change it. We'll make them twins instead. But they didn't know, so it's OK. <laughs> but that makes it kind of awkward, because you had stuff like Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was written before Empire Strikes Back came out. And you're left at the end of A New Hope thinking like it's very possible that our main hero, Luke, would end up with a princess. I mean, that's kind of typically how these fantasy stories work. So you have Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was one of the early EU novels. And there is some awkward, awkward sexual tension between Luke and Leia in that book. Because um, that's the direction that they thought they were taking it. So that's a major retcon. And the special editions. I think Trevor has an opinion on that. <laughs> well, there's, there's good and bad, right? We've got Greedo. We've already covered that. Um, I think an example of a good one in, in episode four is the uh, scene where all the, the rebel squadrons on approach to the Death Star. In the original movie, you saw a handful of them. You didn't really get the idea that it was this massive, huge group that was supposed to be going out there. And I'm not sure if that was the intention or not, but the retcon kind of shows you. You know, it gives you that, that CG uh, scene where it shows all these ships that are going in there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, an example of a good way that they, that they did that. And we already talked about this. <laughs> Examples of bad retcons. This was... There's not much more to say here. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> Feel free. Go ahead. Oh, um, I don't know what's thought this, but it doesn't really change anything because, first of all, Han was going to shoot Greedo anyway. So George's rationale doesn't really work. And, the, and I think it makes a change it from Han shot first to Greedo never fired. Because Greedo <laughs> never even shot off a shot. And Han Solo's gonna blast him anyway. So it really changes nothing. It just looks kind of stupid. Yeah. But it doesn't really change the story at all, or it doesn't change Han's character once. It actually it does. does. It makes him more ruthless. Yeah. He's not gonna wait for that. He turns into a hero and you know, him being a ruthless killer where he's just popping people because he's like, Oh hey, I don't want to get arrested, so I'm just gonna shoot you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Than, you know, 
you know, protecting himself, which makes him more likable as a character instead of. But he was protecting himself. Michael says, "Over he goes." Yeah, yeah, he threatened them. He just shot first. <laughs> it was like, "Oh, okay, blam." Well, and to Trevor's original point, I think this is one of those things that's caused so much contention. To really, it didn't really change much. I mean, it didn't change how we viewed Han. Han was still the hero. We still liked him. Greedo still died. So the fact that there's, he even bothered to make that change, it was unnecessary. So it goes back to that idea of, like, don't make unnecessary changes. Well, and I'll oh, go ahead. I, I think that actually made Greedo less credible as a bounty hunter, too, because <laughs> what bounty hunter's going to miss <laughs> <laughs> well, and not only that, but kind of one of the arcs over the course of three movies is Han going from this selfish, uh, outlaw smuggler type to a, an actual hero. Mm -hmm. And that kind of negates that. It makes him halfway there already. Yeah. In a lame way. So, discuss Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Um, this one was kind of meant to be a possible sequel to A New Hope if it didn't make a lot of money. Um, it kind of pared down the cast. It only had Luke, Leia, um, the droids, and Vader. Um, it was also all took place on a swamp planet, Mimban, and so it would have made the set really cheap to make. Uh, but as we all know, Star Wars became a massive success, and they went on with um, Empire Strikes Back. So this has a lot of um, interesting takes on the characters and some interesting situations that now kind of don't feel like they fit as well in in the continuity. However, it's still considered sea canon. So this is a big one too. So Luke and Leia, when they talk about their mother, Leia seems to remember everything, and Luke doesn't. Um, <laughs> how does this work? Well, clearly this is probably another example of when the prequels came around, George was kind of like, hmm, like I had them say this, what am I gonna do to, to explain this away? And he actually really didn't have any explanation. He let other people make the explanation for him. Um, so this is a big retcon, because how can Leia remember her mom and Luke not when they were both born at the same time and their mom died seconds later? Well, this has been retconned to Leia had her eyes open when she was born, and the Force imprinted a memory of her mother's face on her mind. That's been the official retcon for this. It's stretched. It's, it's a little bit stretched in my mind. It's not stretched. I, this is the first time I've heard about it, and that's wrong. <laughs> and that, that's the thing. That's the, the, the fun thing about retcons and the fun thing about Leland's job, and I think it'd be awesome to, to have his job one day. But, I mean, it, it's, you're, you're kind of stuck in these kind of a rock and a hard place. You're stuck in these situations where it's like, how am I going to make this plausible? And it's not even really that plausible, but it makes sense within the universe. I mean, it's like we, we have this force, we have this mystical energy that we haven't really been able to fully explain, so why not have that explain this certain bit of seeming discontinuity away? So it's kind of finding those fun ways to make it still flow together that I think is, is the fun of retcon. And yeah, it's a stretch, and yeah, people roll their eyes, and yeah, at the end of the day, it was just Lucas didn't know yet when he was making Return of the Jedi that he was going to have it end up this way. But it's kind of fun to see how they do how they do explain it away. Yeah. No, it's actually just like a it's like a literary or creative device. Um, and when I say device, I mean um, like a tool or technique that you would use when creating something. So it's more of a, a re-swizzling either a story or a certain um, plot point to make everything fit together. Is it tangible? No. 
it's not a real thing. It'd be great if they had a little machine that you could just be like, fix this. <laughs> Red <Redcom box. laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you could describe it like that for sure. The Death Star, the whole plot behind the Death Star is a massive retcon. So you, you, you don't really get much information about it in the movie. It's built, it's already built, great. It's not a moon. <laughs> it's not a moon, that's about all you get. It's a battle station. But in, in the EU and in a lot of the, the video games, you kind of start to piece together, okay, where was it built? You know, what planet was it built over? Who stole the Death Star plans? How long did it take to, to be built? Um, so you start getting all these bits and pieces of information over the course of all these different forms of media, in comic books, in the novels, in, um, in some of the video games. So you literally end up with, it was built over like three different planets. It was, there was multiple versions of the plans scattered throughout the galaxy that several different heroes in the books or comics or video games ended up, ended up retrieving. So it's like, where, so where was it built? Who actually did steal the Death Star plans? Well, you have Bevel Lemlisk here and, and Grand, Grand Moff Tarkin, and that's kind of the, been the traditional, okay, early EU, Bevel Lemlisk, genius um, inventor, created the Death Star. But then the prequels come along, and then you're like, okay, the Geonosians have the plans to the Death Star that we find out in episode two. How does that fit with everything that the EU's already told us about? Well, there was an entire novel written to take all these disparate plot points and make them make sense. So Death Star novel, it's actually really a really good read. Um, it's kind of fun to see them pull all the different pieces of information around the creation of the Death Star and make it into a, a relatively coherent plot point. You know, it, they explain how it was built over multiple planets. They explain all the different people involved and how the plans came to be and who ended up stealing them. And it, it's essentially though the entire novel is a massive retcon to explain how all of this comes together. So it's kind of fun. Boba Fett is another one. So. Um, I don't know, did anyone get a chance to see Jeremy Bullock's panel th this afternoon? Yeah, it was really, really good. He, he's a great speaker. Um, but people were asking him, you know, did you, what was your reaction when you found out that this seemingly insignificant character that only had its five lines became pretty much a massive cultural phenomenon, especially for this franchise? And he was like, you know, I, I didn't expect it. I didn't really know what to think about it, but I wish I would have been able to do more had I known. Well, the EU has kind of helped him out there, expanded universe. We have tons of comics and short stories and novels and video games. And now you have um, even the live action television show talking about including him and, and you have him in the Clone Wars. But one of the early backstories for Boba Fett was this short story by uh, Daniel Keyes Moran, The Last One Standing. And this showed up in one of the Tales books. And this gave Boba Fett an entire background. You know, his real name was Jaster Muriel. He, um, you know, came from Concord Dawn, like all these things. But then the prequels came along and that kind of made everything written in that story, it negated it all. So how do we explain this now? You know, we have this EU story, are we just gonna pretend it doesn't exist? Well, you know, to, to the people at Lucasfilm's credit, they don't really do subtraction, retroactive continuity. They don't just say that it didn't happen, they explain it away. So they say that Jaster Muriel was actually one of Jango Fett's um, predecessors and one of his mentors, and that Boba Fett took that name as an alias in respect for his father's mentor. Okay, kind of makes sense. So it's, it's one of those things, again, where how this clearly flies in the face of established canon that's already come, how do we make it work? Well, we take what we, we know, 
And we, we re-swizzle some things, we, we look at some characters that aren't that popular, and we figure out a way to incorporate them into existing canon. This, is one of, this one's a little bit obscure, but I think it's one of my favorites because it just shows how um, obscure retcons can be. Uh, one of my favorite series, kind of my intro into the EU, was the Young Jedi Knight series. This was um, a, a novel, Shards of Alderaan, and it kind of has the return of Boba Fett to harry the solo family again well it doesn't work here because in the short story last one standing boba fett and han solo kind of have a, a stalemate and they kind of have a a truce going on and they're like you know what we've been fighting we've been enemies for so long we're kind of getting to be old men let's just call it a day and we're cool and then this novel comes around, and Boba Fett's back to his old ways, and he's trying to kidnap the Solo kids, and it's like, how does this work? You know, we thought that Boba Fett was a man of honor, we thought that he kind of had a truce going on with Han, why is he back to cause all this trouble? And it, it's persisted through several books of this series, um, where Boba Fett uh, continues to cause trouble for, for Han and his family, and we're left wondering, why is this happening? This doesn't make sense with what's already been established. Well... Retcon comes to the rescue yet again. So in an obscure comic, we had a picture of Boba Fett and his family and an unnamed, unsexed child. We don't know who it was, um, didn't have a name yet, didn't have a sex yet. So they took this and said, okay, Boba Fett had a daughter. Her name is Aelin Bell. And she grows up and she wants revenge for everything that the Solo family did to her family and the way that Han... Uh, treated her dad, ended up, you know, putting him in the Sarlacc pit. So they retconned this entire series with that was supposed to include Boba Fett, and actually made it Aelin Bell in disguise as her father. <laughs> wow. So, great example again, and and it's actually kind of funny. And whether this and I, this was done in unintentionally, actually, Kevin J. Anderson has been uh, on record to say that he had written this as Boba Fett, um, and thought that the retcon was quite humorous and glad that it took place in order to keep things continuous. But there's a line in the novel where he, or she, but he, we think, is talking to one of the villainesses. And she says, you know, why don't you take your helmet off? You know, why are you so secretive? For all I know, you could be a woman. And it's such a great line, and it was completely unintentional. They had no idea that they were going to go back and do this retcon. And now reading it with that in mind, it fits perfectly. And it was just a great example of how when you, when you kind of delve into the minutia of Star Wars and you really look at some of the fun retcons out there, that it really gives it this whole new flavor and this, a whole new appreciation for what these creators are doing in keeping it all together. And we're going to continue to have Boba Fett retcons. Um, he's in the Clone Wars television show right now. He um, is already kind of throwing into chaos some of the things that have already been put out there as far as his backstory is concerned. And it's probably only going to continue to be, to be that way. Um, and then when the live action television show finally uh, comes out, whenever that may be, I'm sure we're going to have even more retcons with Boba Fett because he's supposed to be a major player there. So only time will tell. Force Unleashed was also kind of a massive retcon. Um, you, you played and liked the game, right? Yeah, I played. Yeah, I played that game. <laughs> played that game. So yeah, for a long time it was assumed. I don't think it was ever really defined that uh, Vader was the one killing all these Jedi during the 19-year gap between three and four. And pretty much what the game does for those that haven't played it, everybody should have. 
Um, he goes and he kills lots of them. Any of those TIE fighters at everything, which is great. So it was, it was kind of a new take. And when they were marketing the first, the first game, the second game I don't think had a bit, as big of an impact, but the first game, it was multimedia um, push. You know, it had comics and toys and novels, as well as the game, um, similar to what they did with Shadows of the Empire in the 90s. But they, in the marketing of this, they constantly were saying, you will, it'll make you view the original trilogy in a new light. And that was some bold statements. I mean, the original trilogy had been around for so long. Like, how can this one story, how can this one franchise change how we view the original trilogy? But if you've read the comics or read the novel or played the game, it actually does. It kind of sheds some very interesting light on the backstory of how the rebellion was created, um, how... Vader's relationship with the Emperor, how that plays out. I mean, you find out that the, the secret apprentice here, Galen Merrick, his family crest is where they get the logo for the Rebel Alliance. And that was something that we didn't know where that had come from before. There wasn't any existing backstory there. But a cool example of how they take this very small thing that's very prominent in the movies and in the EU and that you never really think about, and they kind of put a whole whole spin on it and a whole backstory to it. So The Force Unleashed is a great example of a retcon, how they're tying little bits of minutiae together um, to even more solidify the, the continuity of these stories. And Darth Maul. This has been kind of controversial of late um, because they brought him back from the dead. Uh, but that's kind of a massive retcon too. We're kind of having to explain away what's going on here. Um, and it's kind of funny because we had the Infinities, one of the Infinities comic books um, that was outside of canon, had Obi-Wan fighting a cyborg Maul on Tatooine. And people were like, oh, that's a fun story. That's kind of cool to think about a what-if scenario, completely outside of canon. And now that they've decided to bring him back for the animated um, show, and he indeed does have cyborg body parts, people are thinking like, okay, this random comic book that was outside of canon completely could now possibly end up being C, if not T canon. So a kind of cool example of how things that we never even expected to show up in official continuity can kind of make a re reappearance. So again, the Darth Maul character's plotline is not over in the Clone Wars TV show. Um, he's probably going to be a major player in season five, which comes out in October. So we have yet to see... Um, how that's going to be wrapped up, if at all. They might leave it open so that they can continue to tell stories here, but great example of a really interesting, really big, and really controversial retcon here. So we kind of like to turn it over to you guys. Um, do you guys have any experience with some retcons that you guys really like? Um, any ones that you've kind of been like, how could they do this? I know the Clone Wars television show has had a lot of people up in arms when it comes to like Even Peel, his character, um, who supposedly was alive in the Coruscant Night books, which takes place a little bit before New Hope. However, they killed him off in the show years before. So, And that one, actually, they haven't figured out a retcon for yet, surprisingly. Um, no one's been sitting around noodling about exactly how they're going to explain that one away. So feel free to, to throw some stuff out there that you've liked, not liked, would like to see retcon, that you, that you see a massive uh, glaring discrepancy. Yeah. where they take all these story threads from throughout the prequels and books and comics and they kind of mesh it into a unified vision. 
Yeah, Plague of Darth Plagueis, the novel, is a great example. Very similar to Death Star, I think, because um, you had you didn't really have a lot of backstory on Palpatine or um, his his master. You had a lot of like little bits of and pieces of information, and that novel kind of pulled that all together too. And that one, similar to Force Unleashed, that novel really kind of makes you watch Episode One in a very different light as well. Um, and that's kind of some fun stuff too, because anything that you can delve a little bit deeper into that that adds a new layer to the movies is always a lot of fun. Yeah, in the back. I have a question, maybe, because you obviously know a lot about this, but why are they taking T-Cannon and new T-Cannon and kind of messing with already existing C-Cannon? Like, you know, like I mentioned, the Clone Clone Commandos. And you took a a huge, massive book series, right, and a video game and everything, and they kind of like just changed it all around. Like, why would they do that? Like, what's what's the thinking of that? Like, they, is there something going on? Like, Lucas says, I don't care. Because I just want to do whatever I want. You know? I mean, kind of. I mean, <laughs> sometimes it, it kind of, and people kind of. I think that's why people and fans get upset, is they kind of think it's a little bit of a of a douchey move to do that. But at the same time. Lucas, when he does create things and he was he is involved in things, he doesn't re- he doesn't read every EU novel. In fact, he probably hasn't even read a single one. Um, he he's not involved at that level when it comes to the the EU. He doesn't worry himself with with existing canon. He kind of that's why he hires other people to do it for him. But at the end of the day, if he has a story that he wants to tell, and Dave Filoni, the um, lead director on the Clone Wars, has gotten asked these questions a lot because he's a fan. He recognizes that fans really appreciate canon and keeping things consistent. So he is kind of playing the middleman here because he reports directly to George, yet he's also responsible to the fans to give them the stories that they're looking for. And and what he always says in interviews, because he gets asked this a lot, is ultimately if it's a story that George wants to tell, they're not going to let pre-existing, anything pre-existing get in the way. Um, Even to the point of bringing characters back, like with Darth Maul. I don't think there's ever been a really great answer to that question that's really pleased fans because it, it's, it is upsetting. And for example, with the death of Evan Peel, like to me, that didn't make any sense because it would have been so easy for them just to put any other Jedi in there when there's clearly already you know a fate to this character. So why even do that? I don't know. They haven't. I don't think they've given a, a solid answer other than well, it's our story. It's George's universe. He can kind of do what he wants. There's a hand in the back. Yeah, go ahead. That's pretty much what it comes down to. I mean, they're not, you know, and they're doing it because the fans want it to an extent, but to more extent, they're trying to make money. And wherever the bigger audience is, that's what they're going to cater to. And Mike Sackpole is a great example. He, unfortunately, had a little bit of a falling out with Lucasfilm during the New Jedi Order series. Um, his Dark Tide duology was supposed to be a trilogy, um, but he wasn't feeling kind of some of the character directions that was going on. So, unfortunately, that got cut short. But he's a, a beloved um, EU writer, and he still speaks really highly of the franchise, and, and he has a great attitude about it, and he, he'll be the first to admit. He's like, it's a privilege to be able to create in this space, but every creator within this franchise has to realize that it's rented space. You know, We're playing in George's sandbox, and if he decides to come over and level everything and start over, you can't really complain about it. Um, 
it's not your position. It's your position to create the best work that you can at that time. And if it ends up not working out or getting overwritten, so be it. Um, so I think he has a great attitude about it. And unfortunately, you have instances like the Karen Travis incident. But it's hard. I mean, as a writer and a creator, you kind of get attached to these things. So to see something that you've put so much time and effort into to kind of just get dissolved. Um, the Republic Commando series was wildly popular, and it still is. And she spent a lot of time crafting the backstory for the Mandalorians. I mean, she created basically their society, their language. Um, and then to have that all kind of tossed aside for the television show probably sung a little bit. Um, I mean, you can't really blame her for it. But again, it's, it's George's universe and he can do what he likes, so. Oh yeah. You know, so yep. They can't be too upset because they know that's coming. Yep. But then you can understand her point that she she crawls work into it, and then George says, "Man." <laughs> yeah. And again, it's not that he's singling anyone out because he's not really involved at that level. You know, he he's not reading her novels. He doesn't really keep up with that. You know, it's other people who are doing that for him. But. Um, yeah, and then the great thing about it, too, is you have the fans that kind of go to bat for you. You know, her fans were really vocal. And, you know, even today, they're, they're still un disappointed in how it turned out. You know, they were hoping to get a sequel to Imperial Commando that we probably will never see. Um, but the fan community has, has been great. I think, I think they sometimes get a, a little vitriolic sometimes. <laughs> Anytime you get a measure of anonymity with anybody, anybody that's had any experience with the internet knows that. Well, yeah, I mean, the internet can be ugly, but um, I think the fans have done a good job of, of keeping a lot of that in line. And that's why I think it's great that Dave Filoni has such a connection with the fans when it comes to the Clone Wars and some of the writing, um, because he is a fan himself. So he recognizes the importance of this to the fans, and he does everything in his power to make sure that, when possible, um, they're sticking with it. And frankly, I think you know, you do notice that. I think sometimes we, we look at the things that fly in the face of canon, but... The Clone Wars has done a lot of cool stuff by bringing stuff from the EU into, into the T-Canon. Um, you have stuff like Quinlan Boss, who, yes, he did appear in, in the movies very briefly, but his characterization that was well-established in some of the novels and, most importantly, the comic books, they included that in the Clone Wars television show, and much to fans' delight. I mean, the, the Clone Wars has done some cool things by bringing stuff that we thought we would never see um, in any type of visual format like that to the screen, and I think fans do appreciate that. Right. Mm hmm Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, in the back. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a good point. 
he does he does specify real mother. And and I don't know, and I haven't I don't know if they, they mentioned this in any any of the comic books, but I'm not sure I mean we see Bail Organa's wife at the end of episode three. I'm not sure what her fate was. I don't know how long um, she was alive. Um, I don't know if she died when Alderaan, I mean, she possibly could have perished when Alderaan exploded, so her adopted mother could have been alive for a long time. Um, that's one thing that I'm not 100% sure on, but, yeah. Do you ever offer uh, more of an explanation as to why in episode four, Vader wasn't suspicious of the fact that the rebels were running to the planet that he was I've always wondered why Tatooine gets so much prominence in almost every yeah. EU work. Um, it, for being the farthest from the light point in the galaxy and being a major dust ball, it gets a lot of action. <laughs> I mean, it shows up in almost every video game, almost every book, every comic. It, it's a pretty popular place. Um, and I, I can't imagine that with all the traffic that Chalam's Cantina is getting that they can't afford some new decorations in there. But um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I mean, there's lots of backstory about you know where the Tantai Four had to jump from to collect the different pieces of the data um, and how it escaped um, from the Battle of Tapuara and ended up um, in the Outer Rim. So there's been some explanations about why it was out in that arm of the galaxy. But as far as... Um, being exactly over Tatooine, and that's where they jettisoned the escape pod. I don't know if they've ever delved into um, any uneasiness that Vader may have had about that. But it makes sense, though. I mean, he probably he doesn't have very fond memories of that place. So I can't imagine that he wouldn't have thought something. You say that he doesn't think about his childhood anymore because he's so evil. Right. If you're interested in some of that transitional time frame, we talked a little bit about this in one of our other panels, but the, um, the Dark Lord novel takes place right after episode three, and it deals a lot with kind of his um, coming to terms with some of his cybernetic elements and kind of getting over and, you know, his hunt for the Jedi and stuff like that. So if you're interested in kind of um, a little deeper glimpse into Vader, that's a great novel. In episode three? Oh, because that's where his family is. You could argue, you could argue though too, that if Vader has such strong negative feelings towards that planet, he probably won't go back. So maybe they were thinking that it was a safe place because Vader would avoid that place like the plague. Yep. Exactly. Yep. I mean, Yoda doesn't know that he got told that. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. He gave him some dirty looks and said he was going to go look for his mom. That's <laughs> Being emo. Yeah. Yeah, that's why Obi Wan keeps calling him that. No, that's, that's a good point. And even Sith, even the term Sith, um, it was meant to be this kind of monastic order, yet in the EU we find out that it was actually an, an, an alien race. I mean, the Sith are a race. What? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You had your hand up earlier, too. Do you have anything? I was actually going to talk about how cool it is that they 
expanded a lot on the Knights of the Republic nice series. Yeah. They gave it an entire empire and made it more than just two people. They actually had a whole code, an academy, and all that really cool stuff. And that's the cool thing, and we talked a little bit about this in our EU 101 panel the other day, but the, the great thing about the Star Wars universe is not only do they have such a commitment to keeping it continuous and to, and to keep it um, uncontradictory, but it's also a massively expansive universe. I mean, there are literally unlimited amount of stories that they can tell in, in this universe. I mean, we have time periods going all the way back 36,000 years before the Battle of Yavin with the Dawn of the Jedi comic book series that's going out right now, all the way to, I think we're currently at 138, 138 years after um, Battle of Yavin with the Legacy War comic book series. So, and they can keep going, I and mean, that's, that's the great thing about this. And it's, there's been some rumblings about people wanting a reboot of the EU, and I'm just like shaking them in, in, mentally, obviously, they're not real people. Um, <laughs> I can't shake over the internet. But I don't, think a re I don't think the Star Wars universe needs a reboot. I think they've done a really admirable job, considering a lot of the retcons that we're talking about here are very, very small. Like, we don't have massive ones where you have major characters who, oh yeah, whoops, they were supposed to be dead in this one. I mean, the, the even Peel one and some of the stuff with the Clone Wars are probably some of the biggest examples. But as far as the vast majority of it, they've done an excellent job keeping it um, coherent. So the need for a reboot, I think, is silly. And I think people have invested a good chunk of their lives with some of these characters and some of these stories to just kind of throw all that out the window now. And I think that's one thing that um, inhibits people from getting into some of the comic book franchises is it's just kind of overwhelming and there's so many different universes and timelines and parallel universes and alternate Earths. And it's like, where do I even begin? You know, where does the story start and stop? And with Star Wars, it's a lot easier to kind of enter into the EU because it, it's, it's a, a linear timeline and it, it all works together. And when you reboot, too, to an extent, you're kind of admitting that you have no more stories to tell. Right. And this is a complete fantasy setting. You can make up a planet and have all kinds of stuff happen. It's just, oh, look, it's the Star Wars universe. Yep. And you're seeing that, too, with a lot of the, the new EU works, where it's, um, they're kind of pulling in even new genres. You know, you have the horror genre with Death Troopers and Red Harvest. And you have the, the heist genre with the new Scoundrels novel by Zahn, which is going to be awesome. comes out next year. Or this, at the end of this year. Anyway, that's the next one he's working on. And then you had even like the mystery spy thriller film noir Star Wars with Shadow Games, which came out a couple of years ago. So they're even now experimenting with different genres within Star Wars, um, which I think is even a new and exciting and unexplored space that the franchise hasn't really gone yet. So unlimited storytelling possibilities, but knowing that it's all going to fit within the continuity, I think, kind of sets people at ease and makes it a really fun and enjoyable thing to, to kind of experience, because you can pick it up anywhere and you know that it's going to be consistent. Just take your advice. Give to Anakin. Just, just train yourself to let go of the things you fear to do. Unlearn what you have learned, yeah. Um, but yeah, so any last, any last words? I think we're going to, yeah, really quick. Well, then you had even the droids animated show, which takes place in between three and four. And they weren't owned by Captain Antilles in that show, so how do you explain that away? 
And they've done it. I mean, they were owned by him, and then they got lost and went on some crazy adventures in animated 80s land, and then came back. So, like I said, almost everything has been retconned. There's a few things that are still dangling out there with with the Clone Wars um, in particular, but they've done a a good job. Pablo Hidalgo does a lot of it. Um, Leland Chi is most important there, but... The Reader's Companion, which is coming out soon, the Essential Guide uh, Reader's Companion, is going to talk a lot about this when it comes to the fiction, the, the novels, the short stories, and the e-novellas. So, yeah. Uh, I know that George Lucas has said that he is interested in making uh, 7, 8, and 9, but if, for any reason, those movies would make me think uh, there would be more retcons that they play during not only uh, 6 and leading into 7, and then well, you, I don't think you'd see as many of them because of Leland. I'm pretty sure he would keep a lot of that from happening. I have a different take. I think that if Lucas did decide to do 7, 8, and 9, it would completely wipe out the continuity as we know it, unfortunately. He probably wouldn't make the Zahn trilogy... Um, that's what people often consider to be episodes 7, 8, and 9. I don't think he would do that. It's not his work. It's not his story. He sanctioned it and thought it was great and good fun. Um, but if he were to do it, it would be a completely new story. Um, it would change the EU incredibly. So as, as cool as it would be to see some new Star Wars movies, it would really F up the EU. <laughs> Yeah, it would be completely different. And he'd have to surround himself with people that have actually read the books for that to happen. I mean, that's why I think he's not going to do it. I think that if he were going to make any more movies, my recommendation would be either one, set it out past the timeline where we're at now. So we're at 138 ABY with some of Luke's descendants. Push it out even further than that um, so that you can play around in unexplored territory or push it farther back. Um, the Old Republic time frame has a lot of um, unused space right now um, that he could just create any story he wanted to. Um, but again, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, well, Kevin J. Anderson did do Tales of the Jedi, um, and there's lots of cool tie-ins with his um, Jedi Academy trilogy also. Um, we have the spirit of Exar Kun coming back. Um, but the, the Tales of the Jedi, I think, are, are pretty well established. They, um, I don't know the time frame right off the top of my head, but they have, passed, they have gone further back than that. The Dawn of the Jedi comic series, which is happening right now, is the furthest back that we've gone so far. And it's about 36,000 um, BBY. And we're dealing with, um, even before there were Jedi, and kind of like the discovery of the Force. So it's pretty far back. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a cool series if you're interested in, in exploring some new and unexplored Star Wars territory. Yeah. Uh, we're huge fans of the Star Wars Legacy series, and we've been taught, like, every few months we have the same discussion about how awesome if they turn it into a show. Have you heard anything about that, or do you know what the chances are? Um, the show that they're working on now is going to be um, the Underworld show. That's kind of what they were calling it. Um, and it's going to be the dark time, so between 19 BBY and 0 ABY. Um, so that's kind of their focus right now. I think it would be cool after the Clone Wars 
finishes. Um, I can't imagine why they wouldn't want to maybe do another animated show, so that's always a possibility. Um, there was actually a really cool fan-made trailer, um, and it was, this was years ago, but they did it about um, the X-Wing series, um, as if the X-Wing series was a computer animated show, and that looked really cool. Um, so I can't imagine why they wouldn't maybe want to do that. Again, my only concern is Lucas tends to, with, with T and G canon type stuff, he tends to want to do things that are completely new and from his own mind. So for him to do a big television push on currently existing material, I think is probably not going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah, the only surprise, the only thing that has people waiting for that show is what Ahsoka Tano's fate. I mean, that's a character that we don't know what's going to happen to. And then now with, with Maul back, we kind of have a little bit more um, suspense, I guess. And maybe that was even one of the reasons why they brought him back is because they were realizing that there's kind of hard to have dramatic tension when you know that your characters are, are still going to be alive. So... Well, it's not, it's not officially G canon because he doesn't write all of the scripts. Um, so he, he kind of has an official sign-off, but he has official sign-off on almost everything. Um, so technically, if he wanted to, he could make a movie or something that would contradict even T canon if he wanted. Yeah, I mean, you could probably consider it G-Canon if you wanted to, but I think there's just that distinction there and that G-Canon is reserved for stuff that he has actually created himself, whereas um, the, the show has a lot of other people involved, a lot of other designers, a lot of other writers, most importantly, um, and he doesn't come up with all the plots and all of the characters and stuff like that. So I think that's the distinction. I mean, they are very close. Um, they act very similarly, but that's the distinction I think that's made. Cool. Anything else? Thanks for, for sitting in on this, guys. I know. Well, I oh, yeah. Um, did they explain the thing where Red Leader says he knew Luke's father? Wasn't Red Leader supposed to be in the Clone Wars or something? Did they ever explain that? I don't know. I thought they kind of explained it once. I can't remember exactly what it was. A good resource for, for stuff like this is Wikipedia. Um, I mentioned this yesterday, but if you guys have any questions about anything about Star Wars, it's going to be on Wikipedia. Um, we were saying the other day, Star Wars took down their online databank and now link everything to Wikipedia from the main Star Wars website. So um, any little bits of information like that, you just do a search for it and you will find anything and everything that exists on the topic, including oftentimes when it comes to retcons. Um, you can do a Google, Google search for Star Wars retcons and it will take you to the Wikipedia page. And it will list some of the major ones and even a few of the minor ones. But if it's in a particular character or novel or story or um, bit of technology or planet, there's always a behind the scenes section sometimes at the bottom of the page. And that will kind of delve into some of the um, possible retcons that went into creating that. So Wikipedia, you can get lost in, but it's a lot of fun. So. Thanks for being patient, guys, and coming out on the last day of the con. Um, enjoy the rest of the con, and may the force be with you.